0: first Father God hmm. Lord today as uh, as we talk about love I just pray that those who need to hear this message will indeed have ears to hear that you would open their minds and their hearts to receive words that uh, you have me share we give you uh, the honor and glory Father in Whatever happens, we take none of it for ourselves and just offer it to you. I lift this prayer up to you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been doing this series called The Invitation all during Advent. And uh, today is an invitation to love. Love is the traditional theme for the fourth Sunday of Advent. Um, And so I thought, uh, just sort of thinking about love, Might be good to ask the question in the outset, what does love mean? And um, I found (laughs) some responses from some children, which are usually very enlightening. (laughs) And so here are a few of the answers that uh, these children, when they were asked this question, what does love mean? All right, here's what they said. This is Rebecca, age eight. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis, too. That's love. (laughs) Billy, uh, who was four, said, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. (laughs) And I love this part. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't Isn't that great? Bobby, age seven, says, love is what's in the room at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. A seven-year-old said that. Isn't that that insightful? Nika, age six, says, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with someone you hate. Ooh. (laughs) Tommy, age six, this was great too. Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. (laughs) Kids, they're very insightful. Uh, uh, Little Cindy, age eight, says, during my piano recital, I was on a stage and I was scared. I looked at all the people watching me and I saw my daddy waving and smiling. He was the only one doing that and I wasn't scared anymore. And then finally, Jessica, who is also uh, eight, says, "You you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. So, definitely out of the mouth of babes, right? Some, very, some real wisdom there. And, you know, I thought about the fact that th- you've got this wide range of answers coming from these kids. And I think it sort of points to an interesting fact about love, and that is that it's not always seen in exactly the same way by everybody. You know, everyone's going to see it and experience it a little bit differently. And what, what maybe speaks of love to one person might just sound strange or even kind of bizarre to somebody else. And so in thinking about that relative to the, the scripture we're looking at today, I really thought about this and I thought, well, if we were to ask Mary, this virgin teenager from from Nazareth, this very same question, what does love mean? I highly doubt that she would have described what we're going to read about that happened to her in our text today as love. <laughs> Not sure what she would call it. But we're going to look at um, what happened to Mary. It's in uh, Luke's gospel. So we'll be in chapter 1. It's verses 26 through 38. You have it up on the screen. Or if you want to follow along in your own uh, Bible, you can do that as well. Like I said, Luke 1, starting in verse 26. So that says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So God has sent an angel, Gabriel, to personally offer Mary an invitation to love. So what was Mary's response to this invitation? Well, we find it kind of throughout this text. And I think at first, what we see is that Mary was troubled by what God called her, right? It, it, it says that right in verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So um, the Greek that Luke is using here to sort of, uh, that th- is this word, it's translated greatly troubled, um, really speaks of being thoroughly stirred up, confused and perplexed. So I mean, she was just really, kind of like, what is going on here? You know, What does this mean? And it's really not terribly clear what exactly caused Mary to be such so greatly troubled, right? We might understand if she was afraid at the appearance of an angel. I mean, Zechariah, a grown man and a priest, was scared when Gabriel appears to him. But that's not what the text says. The text actually links her fear to what was what she was told, not what she was seeing. So it could be that you know, in, in her modesty, her humbleness, um, she really just didn't understand why this heavenly messenger would greet her in such a way. What is clear though is that God chose to greatly bless Mary not because she was particularly worthy, but because she was an object of God's goodness. And it's in this sense that I sort of find Mary as being no different than a lot of believers today. See, I think if we were to ask, or if I were to go and ask people in general, some may be believers, some probably not believers, if I were to just ask them, okay, well, what does God think of you? What does God think of you? I would probably get some answers similar to this. I would wager that some would say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I think some people would probably say, um, well, I think God just tolerates me. (laughs) I think I'm kind of right on the edge. Am I lying? No, this is, I think there are some, in fact, I know there are people that say this, God could never really love me because I've done too many terrible things in my life. I've heard people say that, so I know that's true. Some might even say that God hates them because of the current circumstances in their own life. So you have all different kinds of responses to what, how people perceive God viewing them. Now there was a theologian, uh, one of my favorites, named A.W. Tozer. And A.W. Tozer once said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now I think that's certainly right because I do think it's important that we think right and true thoughts about God. But I would maybe argue with Mr. Tozer a little bit and say that perhaps the most important thing for us is actually understanding what God thinks about us because that's where we miss the boat so often. And I think this is, again, this is personal opinion, I think perhaps Mary was troubled when she heard this greeting because it never occurred to her that God thought favorably about her. And I think Mary's response, the reason I, I, I find that to be, to feel like an honest answer is because of the way so many people even today feel about how God sees them. They can't imagine that God could even like them, much less love them. And this is why understanding your identity in Christ is so, so important. Because if you can get that It'll unlock so much of Scripture for you. And uh, for those of you that have taken our School of Kingdom ministry, or maybe are taking it, more time is spent on this subject of identity than on any other single subject in the entire year's curriculum. We spend six sessions on this, specifically focused on identity. I think the next greatest is healing with five. So six sections are spent on identity. And um, I- because it is truly that important that we understand what that identity is. And um, there is what, what they've done in the material is that they have put together what they call an identity confession. And it's 100% taken from scripture. OK, so there's no, nothing that's not already in the Bible that's in this confession. Now, I've never been a big one of creeds and, and repeating creeds in church. I mean, I grew up in the Catholic Church. It was, you know, more liturgical than, uh, than this church, clearly. Um, and so I, I really came to feel that so often we re- if when we repeat these creeds or the Lord's Prayer or whatever it is, week in and week out, it simply becomes an exercise. There's not a lot of meaning to it anymore. We just say these words. We don't really even think about it. It's just, we're, this is what, we're, what we do at this point in the service. And so off we go, you know, saying the Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or whatever your tradition may have said. But that doesn't mean that the creeds are bad. I mean, in fact, they're very good, many of them. And so I want to do something, Just to, this must be the day for doing something a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to ask you, uh, we're going to read part. it's not the entire thing, but it's most of it. We're going to read this together. I've got to have the words up on the screen. Because I think this is important. That if no other time, and I'll just say, if you like this and you want to get a copy of it, I'd be willing to send you a copy of this. I don't think that would violate any kind of socum. licensing issues that we may have so if you want a copy of this I'd be happy to send this to you via email. So here goes. I'll start and we're going to read this together. I am a child of the King. I am a co-heir with Jesus. I am a new creation in Christ. The old is passed away. All things have become new. I am in Jesus. Jesus is in me. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I am united with Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. I died with him, I was buried with him, I was raised with him. I am now seated with him in the heavenlies, far above all rule, all authority, all power, and above every name that is named. Therefore, I carry the authority of Christ. I have authority over sickness, over sin, over demons, over storms, over poverty, and over this world. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. I displace the darkness because I am the light. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because I am a child of God, I am a son of the King. I am led by the Spirit. All things work together for my good because I am loved of God and I am called according to his purpose. I have a destiny. I am going to heaven. But in the meantime, I have an assignment and that is bringing heaven to earth. See, there's no need to be troubled or confused or in doubt about what God thinks of you or who he says you are. Scripture is very clear about it. That's not even all of the statements that that's in Scripture about who you are. That's just a sampling. It's a very good sampling. But there's actually more. That would be a great study to do sometime, is to actually go through the Bible and find everywhere that God says who you are. You will definitely be built up if you were to do that. So there's no need to be confused about what scripture says. We just have to believe it. You have to believe that you are who God says you are. It's as simple as that. Secondly, I think Mary was confused by what God called her to. So, you know, there's a good bit of confusion and in in, in verse 34 uh, it says, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? so she had a lot of questions (laughs) one major obstacle to this blessed event was that she was still a virgin and uh, to her a birth announcement was not only premature it was just nonsense But see, even in her question, she displayed a bunch of faith. She simply asked how this could occur because she was a virgin. She didn't question that it could occur. Her question reveals a a great spiritual sensitivity. Mary understood what Gabriel was talking about. She managed to catch on that this was to be some sort of a miracle child that was going to be born while she was still a virgin, prior to her marriage to Joseph. See, naturally she wondered how this was going to occur. She believed the promise, she just didn't understand the performance. And here's where I think Mary does much better than most modern believers. We not only don't understand the performance, most of the time we don't believe the promise either. Let's take tithing as an example. Everybody's favorite subject. And the reason I picked it is because it's the one area of godly living where God encourages people to test him. Let's look at a verse from Malachi, Malachi 3.10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Okay, here is the most blatantly obvious promise of a blessing in all of Scripture. And yet, many, many, many believers continue to put in far less than a full tithe. Now, this is not, I'm not, if that's you, that's between you and God. I've said that many, many times. All I'm pointing out is that it doesn't get much more clear in Scripture than this. And there's lots of other examples as well of places where God says he will bless us. And so just as we need to believe what God says about us, we also need to believe what God says he will do for us and through us. See, Mary shows it's okay to question the performance, but we have to have faith in the promise. And that's where we miss the boat so often. You know, this is just one example of a promise in scripture. There's so many others. And yet we are we tend to not want to believe that that is true. I mean, I've even heard people question their salvation from the sense of, well, you know, I think I think Jesus probably died for everybody but me. <laughs> and my response is always, really? Okay, have you stopped and thought about what an arrogant response that is? Really? At your at its core? It's kind of the height of arrogance. That somehow or another the the creator of the world couldn't figure out how to save you from your sin. That this methodology that he came up with to ensure that those who believed in him would have a spot in heaven doesn't apply to you. Really? 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 And so we've we've got to start believing what God says. we have said this before, but there's a difference between believing in God and believing God. Satan believes in God. That part's not that hard. Believing what God says to be true is where the struggle comes in and that's why it's so important that we have faith that's what faith does it believes the promises of God and so even though Mary has these obstacles that she's trying to overcome she was still willing and because she was willing she literally gave birth to love And so, you know, there are other examples in scripture of God announcing that a child was to be born through someone. Like, for example, Sarah, who was Abraham's wife. Her response was, she laughed. She thought this was hilarious. What, me? Have you seen my husband? Have you looked at me? Not happening. Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, just doubted, he was like, well that's not, you know, you've got to be crazy, and so by contrast, Mary just submitted, knowing that she was nothing more than a servant of God, so she believed that the angel's words, and she agrees to bear the child, even under humanly impossible circumstances, and in addition with difficult social circumstances, Uh, And we've talked a little bit about this, but let's just look at it from Mary's perspective. We've kind of looked at it from Joseph's, I think, a few weeks ago. But here's what sort of would be the the situation for someone in, in Mary's position. A young unmarried girl who became pregnant literally risked disaster. Unless the father of the child agreed to marry her, she would more than likely remain unmarried her entire life if her own father rejected her, she could be forced into begging or prostitution in order to earn a living. In this case, she risked losing Joseph, she risked losing her family, and she risked losing her reputation. And then, on top of all of that, you have her story about how this happened. We have touched on that. Well, the Holy Spirit came upon me, and I am now pregnant, but it's with God's child. Okay, so now add crazy to all the other things that she risked. And the thing is, still, despite all of that, what's Mary's response? Let it be to me according to your word. And when Mary said that, she really didn't even understand the tremendous opportunity that she was going to have. She took a risk of faith. She didn't consult with anybody else. She didn't take the time to sit down and make a list of the pros and the cons. Tell you what, Gabriel, let me get back to you. I just, <laughs> can, I, can I sleep on this? No. She just took the risk. We say that, I don't know, we've probably said it a thousand times in this church. It's one of Wimber's more, more famous sayings, where he says that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Well, Mary exhibits that kind of faith in abundance in this passage. And because she had that kind of willing obedience, she quite literally gave birth to love. She was center stage at one of the greatest miracles of all time. And I find that as believers, we need to have that kind of trust and that kind of responsiveness when God calls us to do something. See, there's too many times when we just, we we wait and we want to see what the bottom line is before uh, actually agreeing to do (laughs) what God has called us to do. We want to see the end before we actually embark at the beginning. It's not the way God works. I would say it's extremely rare that you understand. You know, He probably will show you the first step, but rarely, if ever, are you going to see the end of the at the end of the line what it's going to look like. It's called stepping out in faith. God wants willing servants and that's what Mary was and so ultimately the Holy Spirit is inviting you and me all of us to love so let me leave you with some questions just something to think about as you uh, leave here today who in your life needs you to display God's love to them What can you do in the next 24 hours to show God's love to a stranger? Where does love need to be birthed in your own life? For some, why is it difficult for you to accept this invitation? And how can you be more intentional about loving others in general? See we should be able to accept the Spirit's invitation to love because doing so is a lot like little Cindy in the piano recital that I mentioned at the beginning. See you may be unsure of yourself, you may be scared, you may think a lot of people are looking at you when you you try to, to accept this invitation to love. But see, regardless of whatever else may be going on, either within you or externally, without you, your daddy is in the audience, and he's waving and smiling. And you don't have to be scared anymore. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that no matter how many times we may have turned away from you, no matter how many times we may have rejected you, no matter how many times we may have said yes, you invite us even further and even deeper into love. It's a never ending invitation. It encompasses our whole life. And not only do you invite us into it, you also invite us to partner with you to spread that love to the people that we have some influence over. Some of us may be called to go to the nations and to be missionaries and to spread God's word uh, on on a large scale. Most of us aren't. Most of us are just called to do the little things. Little things like paying for somebody else's groceries because um, it's just a, a loving thing to do. Something like praying for the frustrated and frazzled work in a store because it's Christmas time and the hours are long and he or she's been on their feet all day Lord there are unlimited number of ways in which you present us with as a means to share your love and so Father I pray that those things that we may have missed in the past, we won't any longer. That we will actively look for ways to spread your love to anybody that we come in contact with. Father, we ask that our life would be our mission field. We don't need to travel any further than down to the store to pick up groceries or to work or to the gym or anywhere that we might normally travel during the course of our day. And you will show us those who we need to share your love with. So Father, help us to be attentive to that. Help us to really press in. And look for that. Because the blessing is not reserved for the person that is on the receiving end. We will be truly and wonderfully blessed. That we all would find ways this week to make your love real, especially this week, a week in which we celebrate the birth of love in Jesus. So be with us, Lord. leave here today, I would just remind you that we do have a Christmas Eve service. It's at 630 on Tuesday. Uh, and so we'd love for you to come and just actually celebrate the true meaning of Christmas with your uh, with your church family. And also, you're invited to come to our house this afternoon. Um, if you didn't receive directions or didn't see them via the email, uh, just ask me. I've got some or I can just tell you what the is, everybody is welcome to come, and uh, starting at 2 o'clock, and just come and hang out, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of food, Uh, but we do ask that you bring something, dessert or uh, some kind of an hors d'oeuvre or whatever to share with everybody.